Small thing about me, uh, when I was uh, growing up, and even to this day, uh, I'm a big movie fan. Uh, and one of, the mov- one of the types of movies that I really like are Pixar movies. Um, I, was in, I was a young kid whenever Toy Story first came out, and it was like the first of the Pixar movies. And ever since then, I- I'm not going to lie, I-, I-, I sneak a look at pretty much every Pixar movie that comes out. Um, I, I'm 30 years old now, and me sitting around watching Coco is kind of weird, but it's also, uh, it's also they're, they're good. They're positive movies. They always have an uplifting message. One of the things uh, that's unique about Pixar movies that I don't know if you know is there, the, there are these things called Easter eggs in Pixar movies. Now, I know it's Lent. We're not at Easter yet, but bear with me. What an Easter egg is is an Easter egg, it's a detail from another Pixar movie that will show up in a current Pixar movie. So for example, uh, in one of the new Toy Stories, I'm not sure if it's three or four, but if you look in the background in Andy's room at one point, you'll see a Lightning McQueen car, which is from Cars, which is another Pixar movie, right? Uh, In Finding Nemo, if I'm not mistaken, at one point, they show the street, and the car parked outside is from Pizza Planet, which is the pizza place in the first Toy Story. There's these Easter eggs, there's these small details that if you're not looking for it, or if you're not an expert in Pixar, what's going to happen is you're going to go right past, and it's just going to be another car, or it's just going to be another toy, right? Today's gospel, for us, I think a lot of Catholics, we miss the Easter egg of Moses and Elijah being on this mountain. I think we miss the Easter egg of Moses and Elijah showing up with Jesus. And part of the reason why, and I know I I fall into this all the time, is because that whole first half of the Bible, the, the, the Old Testament... I don't understand it. It's too many funny words. And I just kind of push that aside because I can start with Jesus and that's good enough. Right? For us to understand the culture that Jesus evangelized, for us to understand the symbolism in a lot of ways that Jesus brought to fulfillment, it, it would behoove us, it would be a big thing for us to go back and pay attention to some of this Old Testament imagery. Because that's who Jesus is preaching to. So let's look at today's gospel, particularly looking at Moses and Elijah. And I I got a feeling that Moses and Elijah probably speak something about us today more than we realize. Peter, James, and John are going up this mountain with Jesus. They, They come to this moment of the transfiguration. We hear the clothes turns white, but these two figures are with them. Well, Peter, James, and John know what's going on. They see the importance so much so that they want to stay there and they want to build shelter for Moses and Elijah to be with Jesus. So they understand it. So let's follow their reasoning. Well, first, Moses. We hear about Moses. We know about Moses. Moses is in the Exodus. Moses leads the Israelite people out of slavery from the Egyptians. Uh, Charlton Heston, right? Pharaoh, let my people go, right? If, if you're from a certain generation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're probably wondering, huh? Right? So, 
we have this, we have Moses leading the people, these plagues hit. Then Pharaoh says, get out, please, after the plagues. They come to the Red Sea, Moses holds up his hands, the Red Sea parts, they all go through. Not even their, the bottom of their shoe is wet. They walk through a sea, and their shoes aren't wet. They turn around, and Pharaoh's chasing them. Moses lifts his hands again, and there goes all of Pharaoh's chariots and charioteers at the bottom of the Red Sea. Now Moses finds himself leading a nation of people through a desert. That, that, that uh, trip through the desert, that journey through the desert, would be a 40-year journey. But at one point during this, during this entire episode, Moses does the same thing Jesus does today. He goes up on a mountain. Now in Scripture, mountains are very important because mountains are placed where God meets his people. Moses goes up on a mountain, and up on top of this mountain, there's a glory cloud. Similar to today, a cloud comes and a voice comes from it. But Moses goes up on this mountain, there's a glory cloud, and it's the presence of God. He's before God, but in a veiled way. And after doing all these things, after leading the Israelite people, after going through the Red Sea, after saving people from slavery to Egypt, in Egypt, all of these things, Moses, I, I think, as I, as I pray and I read this, it sounds like he's pretty frustrated with God when he's up on this mountain face to face with him. He has a prayer in that conversation with God that I think is very, very telling. He says, I want to see your glory. I've listened to all of these things. I've followed all of your commands. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. I want to see you face to face. You need to prove to me that you are real. I don't know about you, but during parts of my life, there have been times that I felt like I've jumped through this hoop and I've done this thing and I've, I've bent over backwards to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that I'm doing all the stuff a good Catholic is supposed to do. And sometimes we get so, we get so distracted with the stuff that we have to do that I think, I know for me, I lose, fa I lose, kind, of, I, I lose kind of the perspective that there's a God and a person behind it. And I find myself in a place where, you know what, God? I've been doing all these things. I've been doing all the right things that you put out there. You need to prove to me that you're real. That, that prayer comes from a place of, possibly a place of desperation. That prayer can come from a place of fatigue. That prayer can come from a lot of different places. But God... You need to prove to me that you're real. Let's put Moses aside for a second. Elijah. Elijah's the other Old Testament figure that's up on this mountain that shows himself with Jesus. And Elijah has an experience with going up a mountain on his own. See, after he had, after he had uh, cast out some, some prophets of a, of a pagan god, he walked through a desert for 40 days 
and 40 nights. He walked through this desert fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Kind of like, if, you, if we think about it, hearkening back to last week's gospel. Temptations in the desert, where Jesus found himself in the desert 40 days and 40 nights. Well, the prophet goes through the desert 40 days and 40 nights and climbs another mountain, Mount Horeb. Remember, on the top of the mountain, he's going to see God. He's going to experience God. God is going to interact with his people on a mountain. Elijah's Elijah's request to God is a little bit different than Moses's. Moses wanted to see God's glory. Elijah wants to hear God's voice. I don't know about you. God, what are you trying to tell me? I can't hear you. There's too much other stuff going on. With Elijah, there's an earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. His voice is not in the earthquake. There's a, there's a strong driving wind, but again, God's voice is not in the wind. There's a fire. There's a blazing, big, loud fire. But God's not in the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. God is not in earth, wind, and fire. God is not revealing himself. His voice is not in these things. But instead, his voice is in the still calm whisper. I don't know about you, in the activity of life that might feel whenever there's, there's a problem that goes on, somebody's sick, somebody's struggling, a kid doesn't go to church, a mother gets sick, whatever it is, there might be an earthquake of sorts. God, where's your voice? Strong driving wind that just kind of blows you from one thing to the next to the next. One activity to the next to the next. Some people call that parenthood of small kids, right? Where you're going from one thing nonstop, barely being able to catch your breath because it's a driving wind. It's something else that's moving you from place to place. God, where's your voice? Or fire which in its right context can give heat and is great, but a fire which can burn down everything like a tragedy in a family. God, where's your voice? God's voice stays consistent in a still, small whisper. See, in both of these experiences, both Moses and Elijah, God at the end, at the end of both of these times, tells them and promises them that you will see my glory, but not yet. Because if you see my glory, if you you see my glory just exposed to you, raw, in front of you, you cannot live, you cannot contain it. It would be too great for you. So he shows them a glimpse of his glory. But today in the gospel... The catechism talks about this gospel, talks about this mystery, and says that what happens in today's gospel is that Moses and Elijah finally get the fulfillment of their promise, and that they get to see God's glory, unmediated, face to face, in the person of Jesus. They get to see God's glory face to face, eye to eye, man to man. They know God is real and they know He's concerned about their life. He sees them face to face. And their promise is fulfilled. 
Pope Benedict, uh, whenever he was one of his one of the first things he did in his, whenever he became pope was he wrote a document called God is Love. I may have quoted this before, but I think it's very, very apparent and very, very, very telling for us that Pope Benedict says that, the result, that being Christian is not the result of some lofty idea or some way of living, some ethical choice, but that being Christian is an encounter with a person. I think Moses was getting a, a, a lofty idea. God, are you real? I think Elijah, in a lot of ways, was thinking, God, I've done all, like, all of these things, all these places that I'm looking for your voice, it's not there, an ethical choice. But in reality, being Christian is the result of an encounter with a person. The same person that Moses and Elijah have a fulfillment of their promise, the same person that leads Peter, James, and John up the mountain to begin with, God speaks to us. God reveals to us his plan through the person of Jesus. Now, Father, that's great. I don't know what that has to do with me. That's awesome. I get it. There's a lot of cool imagery happening on the top of this mountain. I think today we come with those same two, in a lot of ways, we, we probably come with some version of those same two things. God, I need, I need you to be real for me. And God, I need to know that you're concerned about my life. That you have something to say to me. And that you care enough to talk. God, I need to know you're real and that you exist and I need to know that you care. The testament for us on this side of the New Testament, the thing for us that proves to us how much God wants to reveal himself, how much God wants to, wants to share himself with us, is that it's not just about seeing him, and it's not just about hearing him, but today, brothers and sisters, as we come to Mass, God steps down again to this altar, on this mountain. And instead of just seeing and hearing, we taste of him. That Jesus Christ comes into our world, into our life, and gives himself to us completely. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. Being Christian is the result of an encounter with a person. Today, as we come to Mass, we're on the mountain. We're right there with Peter, James, and John. We're right there before our Lord. And when, when we lift up the host at Mass and we say, Behold the Lamb of God, we have the opportunity to see Him in His glory. Broken, crucified, broken and poured out for us. And all we have to do is receive Him. He reveals to us that He's real. He reveals to us that He's concerned because He steps down from heaven to earth again today. An infinite step to meet you here. Last thing, the last words of today's gospel. That after being up on the mountain, after having this experience up on the mountain, they had to go back down. 
They had to go back down into the real world. They had to go back down into the struggle of their life. They had to go back down into an, a, a ridiculous pace and a bunch of kids or a bunch of things, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, they had to go back down into the real world. But they were changed by the experience on the mountain. They didn't live it perfectly because on another mountain they'll fall asleep when they're not supposed to, the same three. But they were changed by the encounter with a person, the encounter with God on a mountain. And it compelled them back into the world. Today as we come to this Mass, as we receive, as we get to taste of God's glory, not just see it or hear it, we're then compelled out. To go into a world and evangelize. To go into the world and be the presence of God. In the valley, in the darkness, in the, in the doubt, in the struggle, in the fast-paced world of our life, we're called to be God's presence. Our families, our workplace, school, wherever we find ourselves. Today we come, we don't just hear, we don't just see God's glory. We get to taste it. We get to receive it. May we be bold as we go forth. May we receive him well and share him every day.